We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. FFPC cut down week, and we're going to have a dynasty conversation. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel, who's been doing some incredible work at Rotoviz, got updated dynasty rankings, and I am just absolutely in love with the way that you guys changed your dynasty rankings, uh, added these various tier elements that clearly explain the trade value for players in various tiers. I'm a huge tier drafter. I, anyone who knows has read the newsletter knows that I do my rankings in tiers. Um, you guys, from a dynasty perspective, have put draft pick values on each show for example tier one is three round one picks it's the absolute premium blue chip players tier two is two round one picks tier three is a round one and a round two tier four is one round one tier five is two round twos and so it gives you this this is something i've mentioned on the show that i don't i don't, I don't feel like i have a great um basis for dynasty trade valuations there's a lot of trade calculators out there Never been a huge fan of the calculators. I'm not trying to like criticize them in any kind of way. I think they're a good, useful tool. I love this. This makes so much sense to me. It fills a huge hole for me in the sense that I like to think about players in terms of tiers. When I look at this tool and I look at your rankings on it, Sean, it's so easy for me. Well, number one, you're the person that in the entire industry whose rankings I would trust the most, but if there's any anybody that I want to disagree with or have a, a change of opinion on, it's really easy for me to, to see what it would mean to bump that player up a tier or down a tier in terms of value back to these uh, rookie picks, which are a great currency in Dynasty to think through. You can apply your own sort of future value discount if you're looking at future picks of these, you know, of these amounts. But ultimately, when you're analyzing trades, you can kind of just push everything back into this currency of of round what picks, how many round ones, how many round twos, how many round threes, and then understand sort of what the difference is and how the gap's going to need to be made up. This to me is exactly the way to think about dynasty trades. It's been, like I said, a hole in my own game. And so now you guys have these rankings up, Sean. You've just updated yours. Quick teaser, like this is for the 
FFPC Triflex league, uh, Rotoviz Triflex leagues that we are in one together. We talk about from time to time. Your tier one uh, is uh, all of the because it's a super flex league. It's all of the premium quarterbacks. It's Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. And then just going across position by position, not necessarily in order. You have one running back, Jonathan Taylor, two receivers, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, one tight end, Kyle Pitts. It's also tight end premium. So like that is your tier one. Those are the absolute premium players in dynasty right now that you would value at three round one picks or, you know, give or take a little bit. Right. But round two then, or excuse me, tier two then is, is going to be a little bit less than that. And you can see where all of these names fit. It is such an awesome tool. If anyone's not subscribed yet to Rotoviz, I feel like this is, there's so many tools on Rotoviz that are worth the price of the subscription alone, as well as the analysis. But this tool alone for me fills such a hole that like, I'm, I'm very, very stoked about this. Well, thank you for saying that. That's a great uh, testimonial there because that's sort of what we're trying to do, right? And uh, last year, one of the things that Curtis wanted us to have was this trade value element with the rankings. So we put that in. People really liked it. And yet we have people asking for tiers as well. And that also makes sense for the reasons that you were saying. I think that this is sort of the next evolution in terms of thinking about it and having the tiers represent trade value. It was actually awesome for me because as I went through and I put the rankings together, there's there's this sort of tension or this interesting dynamic where when you're ranking players and you're thinking about, okay, well, do I have player A above player B? Do I like this position, a, a similar type of guy compared to this position you know, in Dynasty, in this format? And the Rotovis Triflex format is a cool format because it is super flex. It is tight end premium. That's the direction the entire industry is going. I think it's the format that creates sort of the most balanced value, which is what we're looking for when we do startups and we do rookie drafts. It gives everybody a, a fair shot to play it. You know, if you get a, a startup pick in the 6 to 12 range, you're not automatically, you know, more or less playing years behind. And so we like that element of it. But then when you kind of put these rankings together, sometimes you're like, okay, well, I have this guy ahead of this one. And then you're thinking about it. Well, you know, who would I actually trade for more? What would I want for these players? And that element too, one of the things that I asked Dave to do, and he did a great job of is displaying kind of by position. So the positions are all in the tiers together. You can kind of look across and see how guys from different positions compare to each other. That element of, it, I think, makes it a great exercise in thinking through it. One of the things that you said is that you can disagree with me and people are going to, right? And one of the things that, that some listeners will know is that my rankings, in some cases at least, tend to be a little bit more off of the consensus than maybe a lot of people's are. And one of the things that I do try and do with this is also consider trade value. And so if I'm thinking about what I would trade a player for, it's going to obviously based on production. I'm trying to get the guys who are going to have rising production and who are going to win leagues for you but i'm not going to move someone so far down who like if you valued them at that level and then traded them that you'd be getting crushed because the person actually has more trade value than that so there is that element as well but i'm also not trying to move guys so much just to reflect the consensus so you're going to get some contrarian elements to it but if you disagree with me you can go in and kind of look at the tiers and think okay i would have this guy in this tier which would mean this trade value, and I can use that to help negotiate trades. And the other thing I think is nice, and that we'll talk about in a moment, is that there's sort of an interactive nature between my rankings and 
the actual leagues that I'm playing. You and I are in a triflex league together. I'm in a league with Blair. I'm in a league with Monty. I'm in many, many leagues outside of that. And so the trades and the trade offers are, are fast and furious just you know all day long, all year long. And so that element of there's a lot of feedback that I get from making these offers and finding out you know what people are willing to do. And the, one of the things too is a trade calculator is going to kind of tell you what you can get or what will work but it doesn't necessarily tell you what trades you should make now again there are different kinds of trade calculators that have different strengths and weaknesses kind of like you mentioned but this should allow you to continue to move through players and gain a stronger and stronger team and that kind of goes back to what we talk about with this perpetual championship window so then you mentioned that it's ffpc cut down week you have to get to 16 players by the end of Thursday night. And I like this element too, right? And even though it's kind of working against us in a way right now, we have 18 guys that we want to keep. We haven't necessarily been able to execute any trades. We've talked about, you know, should we sell at a discount? Should we cut the guys? One of the things that we have done is gain a lot of picks in this upcoming draft. And so, again, just a little bit of a plug for the format. If people are looking for something really fun, this creates action and free agency. It creates value for these third, fourth, fifth, et cetera, picks in the rookie draft because the players who are cut go into that draft. And so one of the things that you and I have been talking about is because we've accumulated a lot of picks, it might make more sense to us to strengthen the pool of players and potentially to draft some of our own guys back as opposed to sell them to a squad where maybe that squad is 14 players deep if we add a player or two then they're going to be at their 16 they're not going to necessarily need to cut that player again so that player will stick we might have to pay more to get the player back later than simply cutting them and redrafting them so i think that those elements also make this a fun format because it's very dynamic right the thing that people complain about in fantasy is if it if their league gets too static you don't have that problem here yeah, I mean, I think you said we've been talking about that. You mentioned that strategy to me, and I was like, wow, that's ingenious. I'd never thought of something like that. But that is, it, it really is. There's players on our roster that I don't want to cut. We've been talking about how we might try to package them and get a deal done. I love this element of where if we were to actually cut them as opposed to just sell them off for a future third, that, or maybe not even get a future third, who knows, future fourth or something, that may not have much actual value. By cutting them, we are forcing them back into the player pool where they're either, like you said, either we could potentially redraft them if we really do want them back, or if they go higher than where we like them, it might push one of our rookie targets down to us. So it creates, like you said, it creates this element where rather than making sure everyone in the league has 16 people, some of them don't, um, and us giving them one to, to put into their to their keeper list um, for some future pick that's not really worth a whole lot. We're going to force them to actually have to draft that player or give us something that's that's worthwhile in a trade, which doesn't seem like it's going to happen. So we're going to cut a couple guys probably that we like, but it does have that that ancillary benefit, which is really, really cool. I want to make one more comment on the tiers in the tool, though, before we move on. And then also I have some comments on the on the cut down stuff, which is going to be a really fun discussion. But I'm, I'm just looking at your tiers now and we'll, we'll probably get back to this. But I also just wanted to mention, like, how as you were talking about it, how practical and how easy it is to use. Another thing that can happen, obviously, and this has happened 
to me before when I'm, you know, I get a trade offer and I go look at some rankings and it feels like those rankings are maybe a little bit, I don't want to say stale, but maybe they haven't been updated as frequently. And, and I know you guys do a great job trying to update as much as you can, but like the, the simple reality is not, no one who's doing rankings can get their rankings updated every day or even, you know, weekly throughout the entire off season. But that's one of the other things about this tiered system that I think makes so much sense is that if there has been a change, I like, I often find myself looking at rankings that are maybe a couple of weeks old, but I'm like, Oh, this is before that news. And I kind of have a hard time sometimes deciding where I'd want to value that player. I love this tiered thing where I can say in those situations, it's not even necessarily where I'd be disagreeing with your rank, Sean. It might be that I'm guessing that you would now have that guy ranked in a different position. So that's a really fun way to use these tiers now as well. And then I was also looking at your, your running backs. I want to give a little tease of some players, but your first tier only has Jonathan Taylor. Your second tier has Javante Williams, who everyone knows we love Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey, Deandre Swift, and Brees Hall, a bunch of guys that everyone knows we love. The name that's not there is Najee Harris, who a guy that we have talked a lot about is maybe not from a profile perspective, the type of maybe doesn't have the type of ceiling that we expect in this maybe being valued currently in his career too much based on what his current role is in his position within the Steelers offense. And so I love this thing where now you have him down in tier three, right? Which isn't bad by any means, but this is a type of thing where you've put an actual value on some of the discussions we've had to be clear tier three. And I'm not going to say your name, every player, but um, tier three only has four running backs and you only have five running backs total in the first two tiers. So you still have Harris in a tier that all the way through the bottom of that tier, every player is a top 10 running back. You still have him clearly valued in a certain way, but just that difference to having, for example, Javante Williams in tier two and Najee Harris in tier three quantifies what we've talked about. I happen to completely agree with this. And there's still a lot of really high profile running back names down in tier four. And so seeing how those guys sit in your actual valuation, and even the fact that there are fewer running backs overall through those first three tiers compared to say wide receivers, which you have a lot deeper lists in tier two and tier three. It's just, man, this is just such a good tool. I just wanted to say that as we look at our roster, a couple players we like that I think we have decided that we have decided to keep came up this uh, last night in a Twitter thread from my old colleague, Jamie Eisenberg from CBS, friend of the podcast. We had him on last year. He went through some notes that he had from the NFL owners meeting for anyone who wants to check those out. I retweeted the first tweet in the thread. You can find that on my Twitter timeline at Yards Per Gretch or obviously on his Twitter timeline. But it's a nice thread of some conversations that he had with different teams. And a couple quotes stood out to me that are players on our team that I wanted to mention to you in part because they're sort of confirmation bias. They fit some of what we think already, but they come from the coaches. And so I I, I thought they were very valuable. Uh, he talked to Andy Reid and he talked to him about Ronald Jones. And he said, Jamie's tweet, I'm just going to read it here. And again, hat tip to Jamie for this, this great info. He said, I like Ronald. I like the size speed that he has. He's got good vision. He needs that opportunity to feel like he's a major part of this thing. We'll give him that as long as he comes in the right frame of mind and all those things. So I thought those two last sentences were really interesting. He needs that opportunity to feel like he's a major part of this thing. That fits with a lot of what we've sort of believed on Ronald Jones. There's some confidence elements that 
it's I thought that was sort of a positive sentence in the sense that Andy Reid sort of recognizes that we want to give we brought him in and understand that like you know I don't want to say he's more of a delicate player but that, that we that we need to be a little bit delicate and we need to be um, somewhat careful of how we you know impact his his mental process that second sentence as well though will give him that as long as he comes in in the right frame of mind but that was really interesting as well from Andy Reid where we've heard those whispers from the Bucks. sometimes we talk about why some of these types of players don't succeed to the level we think their talents at and and we sort of just throw in this all-encompassing comment of like maybe they're just really bad in the locker room with Jones it's been clear that some of his off field again sort of mental challenges have have bled onto the field and there's been these conversations from Arians and, and coaches that he's been around about his frame of mind and so this comment from Reed that he as long as he comes in in the right frame of mind I thought was really interesting that the Chiefs share that perception of him that that perception was not just in the Bucks building but potentially around the league that when Andy Reed brought him in they're already thinking we need him to be committed and ready to go. How do you view those two comments and, and sort of this, this way that Reed is looking at Jones that I think fits with what we already sort of expected. It's, it's interesting to hear him come right out and just so explicitly say both sides of the equation where I think that he's one of the most talented pure runners in the NFL. Reed isn't going to kind of go quite to that point, but we have lots of, stats that suggest that he is. I mean, when he was the starter for the Buccaneers in 2020, you now 3.3 yards after contact per attempt. Now, a lot of that is on big plays because we know that he's not this huge tackle breaker. And yet at the same time, you watch him kind of forced into the line on some of these plays that the Buccaneers run, and he's not going down at first contact, right? He's got great vision into some of those holes and gets what's there. And then if there is a, a true hole, then he can take it, you know, 60, 70, and we've seen him go 90 yards. And so that fits so much with what the Chiefs need. I think there will be more space in Kansas City, and they need that home run hitter with the way that defenses are playing him. We did a big <laughs> segment on Jones for OT this week, and one of the things that I mentioned was I thought that the Chiefs, you know, saw that potential but would likely still in some ways try and force Edwards Alaire into a lot of the higher-profile touches still try and make him the guy and have it not be so embarrassing for them that they missed on that pick. I guess every day that goes by, I get less concerned with that. And not even that that was a concern in the end, because I think that Jones was going to be put in a situation where he could win this job. The thing here is almost a matter of, you know, are these comments going to move the price back out of the range where, you know, we're getting a good ADP in terms of, you know, what are the chances that he outperforms and what are the chances that he outperforms in a huge way, a league winning type of way. But you love to hear Reed talk about a guy this way. And I think there's also sort of this hint of, you know, what you've talked about before, what we've seen him do with some other players. And, you know, there are plenty of coaches in the NFL who are willing to take chances on troubled players who are talented enough. But Reed is one of the I think relatively limited number of coaches who's had multiple successes with this and seems to be someone who can get a lot out of these guys. And, you know, again, you go back to Ronald Jones coming into the NFL very young, 
one of the things that the Buccaneers said at, at different times when they were still kind of trying to build him up was that they felt like, you know, he just had some growing up to do. But that element of it still, you know, he had a couple of nice seasons for them and he's still in this kind of age range for a running back where we're not feeling like he's done. I mean, so many of the backs, they get onto their second contracts and even if they've been pretty solid, you know, the wear and tear, the age, it, it just seems so strange to think of NFL running backs and any professional athletes really having their best performances in age sort of 22 to 24. But maybe there's no role in all of sports that's as purely athletic and as rigorously demanding as being a starting NFL running back. And so those guys do lose that the vast majority. Then we talked on the show about some of the exceptions and how we wouldn't be afraid to target McCaffrey as someone who maybe not only is good this year, but is good, you know, 27, 28, 29. Those exceptions exist, but we know that in general, we're looking at these things. One of the things I, I think that is encouraging if you still want to take chances on these chiefs backs is that both of them came into the nfl young and i still really think at least one of these guys is going to be a big surprise player for fantasy managers in 2022 i think it makes perfect sense these are great targets i completely agree we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. And, and Rojo, I think he currently for us is like our number 16 guy. So he comes like right at the edge of that cut or don't cut, you know, any, any of our league mates who are listening and kind of putting those last minute trades, you know, we probably won't cut him, but he's kind of in that range for us with LaVisca, with Kenny Galladay, where, you know, could cut, might not cut. 
you know, we like these guys. It's interesting here, you know, maybe Rojo moves off of the, the borderline for us. And then Ben, you also wanted to give us a guy who I probably would put at number 14 for us in terms of uh, one of the things, just kind of uh, going through this exercise of where do you have the guys? I mean, obviously your, your clear cut starters, you're not going to cut, but as we get to the edge, we do have some interesting names. Another one that I think fantasy managers should hold on to because in the vast majority of scenarios, the price is going to rise. I know this is somebody that you've had some thoughts on and perhaps the coach feels the same way. Yeah. And, and you should definitely go. Anyone listening should go read all of Jamie's um, thoughts and in, in, in his thread, all of his notes. He talked to Andy Reid. He talked to Nathaniel Hackett about uh, their wide receiver core, Zach Taylor, Doug Peterson, some comments on ETN there that I thought were interesting. Pete Carroll, Sean McVay, but getting down to, and, and Matt Rule, but getting down to his conversation with Cliff Kingsbury, <clears throat> it's Rondale Moore, who we love. And he said um, a bigger role, there's no doubt. Last year, just with the numbers, with Christian, A.J. Green, Hop, he kind of got lost in the shuffle more than he should have. He's a dynamic playmaker. With Christian leaving, we expect him to fill that role. And then in another tweet, Jamie goes on to note that he that Kingsbury said, we're going to try to give him the ball more. You've seen what Kyle's done there with Debo. He finds different ways to give him the ball. We're going to be creative with Rondell because when he touches it, good things happen. Obviously, the, the Debo comps are, are just so on the nose that you kind of expected that. What I thought was really interesting here was this comment that with the numbers of the guys ahead of him, he kind of got lost in the shuffle. This is something if you read Stealing Signals last year, if you listened to Stealing Bananas, Sean, you and I talked about a ton. This was something that I was really kind of harping on throughout the year where, I mean, certainly there was a reason for it. Christian Kirk's slot rate was incredibly high. He played really well out of the slot last year. And Rondell Moore, the vast majority of his snaps were coming in the slot as well. And so he was sort of a direct backup to Kirk. There was the one game where they kicked Kirk outside when both Green and Hopkins were out and Moore got a lot more playing time in the slot in that game. But then when Green came back and Hopkins was still out, they started playing Antoine Wesley on the outside. They didn't want to keep Kirk outside. It was clear. They moved Kirk back to the slot. They had Wesley playing a ton, and they still had more in sort of this background role, which was very confusing, in my opinion. I think you, you needed to kick Kirk out and get your best players on the field. But this idea that he got lost in the shuffle, it's something that I talked about earlier in this offseason, Stealing Bananas. I think I, I said that they were sort of the, the victims of their own success in this way that A.J. Green, I mean, a lot of these guys were really efficient early on before Kyler Murray's injury. He was playing really good quarterback, and all of the pass catchers in Arizona were efficient in the early part of the year. A.J. Green was performing at a certain level that was really you know strong for him compared to his 2020 even when they brought in Zach Ertz, he immediately started performing really well. Christian Kirk obviously was performing well. My comment about them being sort of the victims of their own success was that you get into sort of the sequencing thing where, you know, AJ Green's range of potential production on a weekly or season long basis, there, there's going to be spikes and things like that. Because he, they hit on some of these spikes early on, I felt like it was a little bit of a, sort of a mirage, but they, they thought that they needed to go with the, that lineup that they had but that ultimately that lineup was capping the overall ceiling of their pass offense because they weren't finding ways to incorporate more who did come out and be efficient early on. He had this really weird season where he has a, a huge chunk of his receiving yardages in, in the first like three or four weeks. I can't remember the exact stat. I tweeted it a couple months ago, but he had 
uh, I don't know, a couple hundred, 300 receiving yards in the first couple weeks. And he finished with like 600 for the whole year, the next like 10 or 11 games. Cause all he was getting after that point was these touches near the line of scrimmage. And he didn't really create any more explosive plays, but he did create a couple early on in the year, but because everyone was so efficient, they kind of just decided that the guys they had out there were the right guys to have on the field. And they kept going forward with that. And then you have guys like AJ green and Zach Ertz down the stretch that are blocking routes for Rondell Moore, who clearly has more explosiveness and brings a more dynamic element to your offense. I think that was a problem for them late in the year, especially when Kyler was a little bit more banged up after his injury wasn't necessarily always the same. Going into the playoffs, you now don't have as much dynamism in your offense overall as if you maybe around week eight, week 10, made a more concerted effort to get Rondell Moore involved in a heavier way because you see that he's a playmaker and you need playmakers in your offense. That was sort of my take on Arizona's offense all year. I mentioned this back in January. So for me, this is sort of a you know a victory lap or confirmation bias or whatever. But to hear Kingsbury flat out say, just with the guys ahead of him, Rondell got lost in the shuffle more than he should have. And to say that he's a dynamic playmaker and to say also with Christian Kirk leaving, we expect him to fill that role. Those are exactly the things that I wanted to hear from Cliff Kingsbury. It's March, but those are exactly the things that I wanted to hear from him. Yeah, and some of the things we don't always hear because it really is an admission that Kingsbury made some mistakes. And that can be hard to do, especially when you're a little bit under fire. It also be a smart thing to do because people do want to hear that you are willing to admit that you should have done some things differently and maybe that you're going to evolve in terms of what you're doing. One of the things I pointed out about the Cardinals last season is I thought they showed a lot more flexibility in terms of how they use their receivers than they had the previous couple of years. And you can see those types of things when you pull up the Cardinals in the player stat explorer and, and look at their location charts. And yet at the same time, they didn't go far enough in terms of getting their best players involved. And I think that the order that things happened in exactly like you mentioned, it did play a role because they came out with everybody healthy in this healthy combination of Murray to Hopkins. And really when those guys were 100%, still this elite combination, one of the very best in the NFL, maybe not Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill, maybe not Aaron Rodgers and Devonta Adams, obviously two that we no longer have. But at the very top in terms of how dynamic those guys are and how effective it was in the offense and how well the Cardinals were moving the ball, that allows the secondary players to play off of them in green and Kirk, and then you're thinking, okay, well, especially if we're going to have Ertz in here at some point, then there just simply isn't that role. I mean, you've, you've got to start preparing your best players to be out there and to be you know, winning the Super Bowl. And there's no excuse for, even if they had stayed healthy and they didn't need him as much as they inevitably did and didn't have him ready for, you would have wanted that weapon at your disposal as you go into the playoffs. If they're a number one seed as opposed to a cratering team, Either way, you need to have that element, and they did not have it, right? And you mentioned, again, the Murray injury. That's exactly the element here, I think, that was sort of the final piece in terms of just cutting off Moore's rookie season at the knees. Because by the time that they realized, okay, you know, we need to kind of get some of these guys involved, Kyler Murray wasn't the same guy. And so the offense simply didn't work, even if they could have made some of those other things happen. And again, we, we saw them collapse but that piece should have been used earlier. It is great to hear that he's going to be a big part of what they do in 2022 because you can't just kind of go back to the beginning now and completely replace everybody, right? I mean, they're looking at a team where it needs to be Murray. It's going to be Connor. 
Hopkins, you hope, is healthy. But then for it to work, you know, it, it's got to be Rondell Moore. And he's still one of the fastest players in the NFL, one of the best players with the ball in his hands. We saw flashes with him, and that's you know very different from one of our other favorite players in LaVisca Chenault, where as opposed to the coaches saying, look, we need to do a better job, there is more of this element where he's been blamed for the problems that they've had. You know, now he's on the trade block. There are a lot of people in the NFL who supposedly still think that he can be not just a starter, but perhaps even a star player as a, as a niche player, at least that with in what he can do, he can be a game changer, but his own team isn't necessarily coming out and saying that and hasn't really at any point. And when you watch their games, he's made mistakes that jump out. Whereas when you watch the Cardinals, every time that more touches the ball, you think, yeah, I mean, this guy needs to be more involved. And again, even players who, you know, finish the year with two, 300 receiving yards and are out there all the time. But a lot of those guys have, highlights where you can look at and that's only play you saw you think well maybe this is a thousand yard receiver but with a rookie and especially a rookie that the coach is admitting he misused you know we talk about all the time those couple of just amazing flash plays to where that's not the kind of guy where you're thinking to yourself okay he's going to be used within five yards of the line of scrimmage his entire career there's a lot more to it he's going to take the next step and that's why i think you should hold and buy if you can but I mean, more you can't get for him in a trade right now what you're going to be able to get in eight months. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the sort of the explosiveness, and, and you and I both watch a, an absolute ton of football but also tend to lean more towards the numbers and understand long-term trends and things. More wasn't as productive in year one as you like to see. It, it kind of puts him in a concerning bucket, and yet I am relying on sort of my eyes on this because when you were talking about that just now, I'm thinking of how many plays I watched and obviously I was watching more closely and I'm biased and I'm a big fan and I had him on a lot of teams and was waiting for the breakout to come, especially waiting for him to hit on some explosive plays in the limited role to sort of force the hand more. Because during the middle of the season when he was losing that playing time, he didn't quite hit on as many plays as maybe that would have forced the hand more a little bit. I still think it was more a mistake on Kingsbury's part because he had shown that right away in the first month. He made a couple of really nice plays and not just explosive plays. He made a nice catch on the sideline on a downfield pass that I've referenced probably 50 times, but it was just a really nice play on the sideline. Um, what I was going to say is the film watching thing is every time Moore touched the ball, I was anticipating him exploding. You, there are guys that you can see have that juice and it's like, it, I, I guess the guy that immediately comes to mind is people have said this about Tony Pollard for years. And then other people who I, I don't want to say don't watch the games. Um, Cause now I'm starting to sound like a film truther, but other people who are focused perhaps solely on production to a fault, which we are very, very focused on production. So I don't even want to necessarily say that's to a fault, but I've seen the pushback from people that are very like-minded to me on guys like Tony Pollard over the years that are like, what has he actually done? He's made some plays, but like he's not getting the usage he needs and he's maybe not had the production. And the reason I bring him up is last year, we we saw him start to hit for some of those explosive plays that were evident to every, that everyone, you know, he was, he's sort of an enigma where everyone was like, this guy looks really, really good. We saw the kick return touchdown on Thanksgiving. I think it was, we saw some of his explosive runs hit him hitting on a few more like 30 yard touchdown runs last year for Pollard. That's the stuff that I felt like was going to happen every time Rondell Moore touched the ball. I mean, obviously again, as a bias and, and positive 
viewer of, of everything that he's doing, rose-colored glasses, if you will. But I felt like the way that he's taking the ball, his explosiveness, yes, he's small. You can see that evidently. But like if he gets a little seam, he's going to be, you know, he's got that burst where he's he's the type of player that that can pick up chunk yardage quick. And he did that on the one play early in the year where he had like a 70 yard touchdown. I think it was his only real long TD. I don't know if it was even 70, but he caught like a crosser and made a couple weaving plays. And we're not giving up on these Steve Smith comps yet. Right, right. We're not giving up. But we do want to talk about some of these trade values, Sean. And one more thing, I, I, I'm going back to the tool again, because I literally am going to use this tool all the time. This is not just promotion. The Najee Harris thing, I wanted to add, you have him in, in tier three. That This is a great example of how to use this tool as well, or how I'm going to use it that I just want to mention. He's not in tier three for most people. So Sean, I think you do a great job here of putting him where you truly feel he fits. And, and you still have him as like the RB6, which isn't bad. But that doesn't mean go out and trade Najee Harris for the tier three values in the tool, which show around one and around two. That means that's Sean's valuation. You need to always understand market valuation and get the most you can. What that says is Najee Harris, if Sean had him anywhere, to him is probably valued a little bit less than what he can maybe get on the open market, which makes him a trade candidate. But you want to try to get that tier two or even tier one value, because if you go look at his redraft ADP, this is a tool that we've talked about comparing. We did a show on it recently, comparing redraft ADP to dynasty ADP. If you go look at Najee Harris's redraft ADP, you understand that he's a second year player and he's in this great spot. You have to know that he's not valued by the market as a tier three player. And so you need to use some of those common sense when you're using this tool. But Sean, I know that you had some stuff that you wanted to ask me about some recent trades, right? I did, because even though you and I have not been able to get a trade, the league that I'm in with Monty Fon, we had one to get down close. You know, we still have 17 guys we want to keep. Uh, Blair and I had a blockbuster trade to get down to 16 players. And so that one, I think, especially interesting you mentioned Harris. The tier three is still going to be a, a, a round one and a round two. So being in tier three, the trade value there, you're still going to have to pay a lot. I think that in most cases, to, you know, get Harris, you're going to have to pay more than that. And based on where he is in his trajectory, you know, there's a chance to get him, play him, retrade him. So that would also be a possibility there. But the back that I have higher and who is now up into the first round in redraft. And Ben, we did a fun show recently on what some of these redraft valuations can tell you for Dynasty, is Javante Williams. And another exciting rookie back who in the last couple of weeks has been going at running back 25 in redraft. And so that is a position as well where if a player is young, a player is going into year two, then the dynasty trade valuation I think is going to be pretty significant. That being Michael Carter, we moved both of those players for J.K. Dobbins, someone that I probably am higher on than most people, in a future one, two, and three. And so obviously what this allows us to do is get down one player and moves some of the overall value of our roster into the future, which in the Rotoviz Triflex is something that is important. And based on where I have Williams, right, he's worth – two round ones, Carter worth one, Dobbins around one and around two in that tier with Harris. It comes out to be three round ones, 
for two round ones, two round twos, and a round three. And then again, there's this combination of, of how would you value round twos and the combination of round twos versus round ones. You get a little bit of a sense for that in the tool as well. But we were going to have to sell a little bit lower than what I felt comfortable with and then what I think both of these guys have as their 2022 upsides because I mean, we've talked about Williams as potentially the RB1 for this season, right? Young guy, peripherals are fantastic. The Denver Broncos are going to score a lot of points, but it also removes a little bit of the risk. And part of the perpetual reloading is this element of making sure that you're spreading the risk around a little bit. We take some of the risk away from having Melvin Gordon resign. I don't think that hurts him a ton. I mean, Williams is going to be a star, but Carter could have a back drafted into his situation there with the jets the jets offense could be bad which may or may not hurt the running back there are some situations where it doesn't hurt as much for a back who has a little bit more receiving element in the profile it may not be as big of a deal of course it depends on just how bad zach wilson is but so you can move a little bit of the risk around you acquire someone who is also young but has some injury risk in dobbins and then you have these future picks you know, whether or not 2023 becomes this epic draft or not, it allows both teams to accomplish some objectives. And that's one of the things that we always talk about as well. Figure out how you can help the person that you're negotiating these trades with. Do you feel like this is a, a sell low based on managing the roster? Do you like what we did here? How would you look at this trade from a structural perspective? I think it makes a lot of sense, like you said, to kick some of the value into the future and you guys had some constraints, right? That you had to, to make this move. It is really interesting to, to use this tool in this way and look at the final value of three round runs for two round ones, two round twos and a round three, because I think that probably feels pretty balanced. Right. And it would be, it would come down to where in the round, some of these picks land. The round twos is something you've preached are, are really good ones to try to stockpile. And I think as we get further into the modern NFL, what we're seeing is we've seen a lot of receiver talent come in, but we're also seeing more offenses utilize more receivers. We're seeing more go higher in the draft. We've also seen more DBs go higher in, in the draft in like days one and two in some of the recent drafts than ever before. I, I think it was maybe three years ago, but we set an all-time record for DBs in the first two days of the draft or maybe in, in the draft overall. And uh, I, I think it was, what, two years ago in 2020, we had something like, was it like 19 wide receivers in the first three rounds? I mean, we had a crazy number of, I, I don't know if that's right. You're kind of smiling. Maybe I'm overextending that. That might've been running backs and receivers, but there was a ton of wide receivers that went in the first and second and third round uh, in the 2020 draft. We're expecting that again here in 2022, probably certainly in double digits, in, in the first two days, probably close to 15. I mean, there's, you know, the possibility of as many as six or more receivers going in the first round alone. And then there's several other names that could go or will go almost certainly. We're seeing the second round be really heavy. Point being, wide receiver specifically as a position, in my mind, has become deeper in rookie drafts from a draft capital perspective in a way that has helped the value of second round rookie picks. And especially when you're talking about super flex, you already have that value. But so trading out of one, especially if it's a potentially late round one for two twos and a three, when looking at it from that perspective, 
I like that. I like that idea of having two shots at a, at a second round receiver or potentially a running back that falls because there are so many receivers that have this strong draft capital. This, this thing that I'm, this trend that I'm discussing, potentially a quarterback, you know, in a, in a super flex that falls into the second round, like a Mac Jones from last year. There's a lot of things you can do in that second round that is that are probably overlooked. And so to get two picks there and to add that third round pick, which you mentioned with free agents in these, in these um, rookie drafts, those third round picks can become pretty sweet as well. I like it from that perspective, but it's funny because I flip it and I look at the names. I'm like, I don't want to trade Javante Williams for anything. I'm not quite as optimistic as you about JK Dobbins ceiling because of some of the pass catching elements. We've discussed that you've explained some of, I've asked kind of grilled you on this. I think on a, on a recent show where you were sort of explaining that you just think he, from a talent perspective, is that good potentially, or would be that good that it would elevate even this sort of touch mix concern that I have. And I'm definitely willing to listen to that idea, but I'm fully buying into the Javante Williams Kool-Aid. And so it's an interesting trade from this perspective of, yeah, you kind of want to be selling guys when the hype is really high, when everyone's buying into Javante Williams. And you kind of want to be buying guys like J.K. Dobbins when maybe even as much as you've said, you think he's that talented, people don't want to buy into it because he's still coming back from from an ACL and there's not a lot of certainty about where he's at health-wise and everything. This might be the window this offseason where J.K. Dobbins is valued the lowest that he is for the next decade not decade, five years, three years, whatever. Running backs' lives are, are a lot shorter than I'm than I'm positioning them. So I think this trade makes sense. I, I love the way that this tool sort of forces you to get away from this hype and this excitement. And I, I've kind of left Carter out. He's another, I think, exciting player where probably some of the risk or the downside concern is not being baked in. I think there's some risk the Jets uh, draft another running back, and then suddenly Carter's going into a career where he's a good player, but he's in a committee for most of it. He's more of the receiving back and maybe not a good enough receiving back in an, in an offense, if the Jets' offense isn't good enough, right? I mean, it's, it's almost be like a Gio Bernard, but Gio Bernard actually had some really strong seasons. Maybe he Carter wouldn't be able to hit that type of production in this offense if Zach Wilson isn't very good and so if they don't take the next step. Carter still has a lot of upside situations as well. I just think from a value perspective, he's probably being valued a little bit high right now, coming in a little bit hot on his actual range. And so I, I think he's a fine sell. I think Dobbins is a fine buy in the sense that it seems like a good window. If you're right about his talent, still have a really hard time getting rid of Williams. But when you looked at, use this tool to do it, maybe it may, you know, it's like the first trade I've looked at using this tool. And I'm like, makes you think a little more rationally. And that's sort of the point. And just to kind of wrap a bow on the Javante Williams enthusiasm, I have him ranked you know, one spot ahead of Christian McCaffrey there. So this isn't somebody I'm trying to unload. In order to get some of these trades done, I, I think you have to be willing to occasionally miss and to occasionally miss big even because you're just not always going to be right. But if you only accept trades where you're the clear winner by, I mean, if you have like the two best pieces in the trade then you know quickly people will interact with you within those leagues because they know you're you're not going to work with them to get their objectives done and we talk about needing to make a lot of trades in order to keep your team where it needs to be and part of that is taking some risks knowing that your overall player evaluation and your understanding of these 
draft and trade trends is going to get you where we need to be. We mentioned our buddy Patrick Corain on the show from time to time with some of the great research that he's done with the trade valuations and how they move throughout a player's career. And being able to move in and out of some of those types of things is very, very important. Keeping your team young, important. Even if you occasionally miss on some specific guys or sell somebody a little bit low, you're still going to come out ahead because of what you've accomplished structurally. You're going to give yourself so many chances to be right. And that's one of the things too, that we're hoping to have some success with uh, a little over a month from now, when we have 10 picks in the first three rounds in our draft, Ben, you and I are hoping to do a draft in the FFPC best ball tournament on Thursday night. We'll record that as uh, sort of a, a live show within the context of, of drafting. It won't be the live special like we did the other day for Tyreek Hill. We'll put those out over the next week. You are going to be taking this fantastic vacation next week. So it's a great fit for us. And then we have some content there and you get to enjoy this fantastic trip with your family. We're also going to be doing some really awesome underdog drafts in the near future. And We'll have all types of content on the site with that. So many of our guys, both Dave and Curtis on the flagship show, are underdog experts. We've got Michael Dubner, uh, Connor O'Driscoll, Bjorn Yang Varnett, all doing great work on the site, helping you beat all of these different best ball drafts. We're going to have some cool underdog tools to go with that. And you can get a $100 match bonus on underdog right now using the code rotavis so get out there do that we're looking forward to doing these drafts with you over the summer you know we hope to be in the situation next year that our friend pete overzet was in this last year anybody who wants to find out about his journey check out the special we did with him that was one of my favorite shows That'll do it for today on Ceiling Bananas. I'm Sean Seal. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch. I mentioned the cool article he had out recently on Stealing Signals. Make sure you check that out. You do not want to miss it. We've got a ton going on this month on Rotoviz. If you want to save a little bit of money on your subscription, use the code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. Subscribe to our feed. You'll get the shows when they come out over the summer. If you have an extra second, refresh your rating and review on your favorite podcast app. That really helps us in the algorithm. You guys have been so cool at that. We appreciate it so much. We'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off.
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.